0: with almost nine thousand dollars something was clinging to one of the bills it was a scrap of paper with some writing on it it said pat rutherford room 31 1230. she found a boston phone book in the night table drawer and went fumbling through the r's there was a paul and two peter rutherfords but no pats in boston proper even if she called them all what would she say "'Hi. You probably don't know me, and God knows I don't know me, "'but were we supposed to have a meeting any time lately in a room 31 somewhere, "'and by any chance did I injure you severely?' "'She discarded the phone book and decided to call room service. "'When in doubt, eat,' she heard herself say. "'The next morning Dawn arrived, but not her memory. "'She scanned the paper, almost expecting to see her photograph "'plastered across the front page.' There was no mention of an escaped prisoner or word of a psychiatric patient having wandered off. No woman wanted for questioning and some bloody mishap or for theft. She turned on the television and sat mesmerized for the rest of the day. Dan Rather was blithely unaware of her existence, as were Tom Brokaw and Peter Jennings. "'Who am I?' she cried, angrily snapping off the television. "'What has happened to me, and where have I put my life?' The next morning she decided to find out. Wearing only her underwear beneath her coat, she headed toward Neiman Marcus department store at the far end of Copley Plaza. In her hand, she clutched a plastic laundry bag taken from her hotel room that was filled with neat little stacks of $100 bills. The money covered another plastic laundry bag that contained her blood-stained dress. She spent the next hour shopping, in rapid succession choosing a pair of practical canvas shoes, a new brawn panties, light brown slacks, and a beige sweater. She also got a bone-colored leather handbag, some tortoiseshell sunglasses, and a navy blue wallet into which she transferred some of the money. Back on the street, it amazed her how well she knew the city. She walked until she found herself in front of the Greyhound bus terminal. Inside, she looked around for a place to deposit the laundry bag containing her bloody dress and the rest of her cash. "'I need to store this,' she told the bored-looking woman behind the counter. The woman, barely glancing up, told her it would be a $20 deposit. After taking the $20, the woman shoved a locker key at her. She quickly put the plastic laundry bag inside the locker. She waited until the woman behind the counter began reading her magazine again before removing the instep liner of one of her new shoes and putting the locker key inside it. She discarded her receipt in a nearby garbage bin and walked out of the terminal, "'wondering what to do next. "'Then she saw a boyish-looking police officer "'standing on the corner. "Uh, "'Excuse me,' she began tentatively. "'I was wondering if you could help me.' "'She was taken to the Boston City Hospital, "'a 450-bed facility that was mostly for charity cases. "'The police decided on the hospital "'when they found no warrants or missing persons paper for her. "'An intern, Dr. Klinger, checked her blood pressure and heartbeat, then her head for trauma. He also checked her urine, pupils, and blood. When she asked exactly what they were testing for, Dr. Klinger explained that they were looking for causes for her amnesia. That might include alcohol, drugs, AIDS, and tertiary syphilis. He added they would also run some metabolic tests to rule out thyroid, kidney, or liver problems, chemical derangement, and vitamin deficiency. That would be followed by an EEG and possibly a CAT scan. She was beginning to dislike Dr. Klinger for more than just his abrasive manner. Dr. Meloff, a staff neurologist, was consulted when the blood tests revealed nothing. He was a good-looking man with a full head of dark, slightly graying hair and an easy smile. So, he said, looking over her head and grinning, you're not quite yourself today, are you? She could only laugh... After testing her vision and probing her scalp, he asked her to tell him what had happened since the episode of amnesia began. She told him about being at the corner of Cambridge and Bowden, and about the hotel and about the shopping spree. She did not tell him about the money and the blood on her dress. The CAT scan was ordered and she found herself prone under a large tunnel-like machine. Her body vibrated gently to the soft hum of the machine as she inched her way through the tunnel. There now, that wasn't so awful, the reassuring voice of Dr. Meloff said as the scan ended. Within an hour, she was told the scan was perfectly normal. The next step seemed to be for her to take more tests, possibly something called a beam or maybe a PET scan. But Dr. Meloff's best guess was that her amnesia was psychological in origin, that her mind had fled from a a period in her life associated with great fear, rage, deep shame or humiliation. How long will all this take? She asked, her panic growing. Well, depending on how fast I can get these things organized, I'd say a couple of days, Dr. Melloff said. I was hoping this nightmare would be over by then, she said wearily. He moved to her side and took her hand in his. It might be, he said soothingly. An hysterical fugue state... If that's what you're experiencing, can reverse itself at any time, and I've never heard of one lasting longer than a couple of months. A couple of months? she repeated to herself, stunned. The doctor went on to say that they generally disappear as quickly as they occur, usually within a couple of weeks. He left her on the examining table with an outdated magazine and went off to arrange more tests she decided to renew her acquaintance with some of the events of the not-too-distant past by flipping through the pages. She started as she saw a young woman staring at her from the open doorway, and the magazine slipped from her lap to the floor. The young woman, who had on a crisp lab coat, rushed to retrieve it. She smiled as she handed it back. I'm sorry, the young woman said, I thought I recognized you when I walked by before, but I wasn't sure. Y- you probably don't remember me. Who are you? Her voice was almost a shout. Dr. Irene Borovoy, came the immediate response. We met at the Children's Hospital a little more than a year ago. I was interning under your husband. The woman's hand flew to her mouth. You are Dr. Whitaker's wife, aren't you? Jane Whittaker? right? I'm usually so good at putting names to faces. Jane Whittaker she repeated, fitting her tongue around the unfamiliar name. "'Your husband is such a wonderful man,' the young doctor said. "'Jane Whitaker,' she said again, testing the sound of it with her mouth. She was waiting for the man who claimed to be her husband to finish conferring with the doctors and the police. She fought the sudden impulse to leap from her chair and flee the hospital, seek out the safe obscurity of the Lennox Hotel.' What was he like, this Dr. Michael Whitaker, renowned pediatric surgeon? The medical staff spoke his name in respectful, no, downright reverential tones. Even Dr. Klinger's relentlessly impassive face betrayed signs of approval, hovering for several seconds in the vicinity of a smile and Dr. Meloff had immediately decided to hold up on further testing until he had a chance to meet and confer with his respected colleague. She had doubts about being married to this man. It stood to reason, she decided, that if she was indeed the wife of renowned pediatric surgeon Michael Whitaker, she would be wearing some proof of this on the third finger of her left hand. There was no such proof. In fact, aside from her watch, she wasn't wearing any jewelry at all. So... In all likelihood, Dr. Michael Whittaker was not her husband. Hadn't he insisted when he was first contacted several hours before that his wife was visiting her brother in San Diego? A brother who lived in San Diego, she thought wondrously. Was it possible? Had she been on her way to visit him and been waylaid, savagely attacked in an attempted robbery? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) But that hardly explained how she ended up with the money, not to mention someone else's blood covering the front of her dress. Your name is Jane Whittaker, Dr. Meloff told her gently when he returned. Your husband is waiting in the next room and is very anxious to see you. It took all her strength to push the words from her mouth. Even then, she noticed Dr. Meloff had to lean forward to hear her. Are you sure? What what makes you so sure? He brought photographs your passport, your marriage license. It's you, Jane. There's no mistake. I I thought Dr. Whitaker's wife was visiting her brother in San Diego. Well, that's what he thought, but apparently you never showed. Wouldn't my brother have?